ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald with The Game Changer. And I have a good friend that I met in a, a community that we were both active in. And it was really interesting because at the time we were doing a study of a, a book on innovation. And he and I are both absolutely passionate. In fact, I would say uh, that innovation is the air that Michael breathes. And he is an innovation project manager uh, of Venture Labs in uh, the Europe, Middle East, and Africa uh, group for uh, a company in Asia. And I'll, I'll let him tell you all about that. Uh, the one thing I want to point out, and this was always the thing that amazed me, is that he's a chemist by training, right? <laughs> he's very, very entrepreneurial and has so much great international experience. And I, of course, came from an international business development background in, in my corporate life as well. So, Michael, why don't you tell everyone your backstory? Because you know, I find the backstories much more fascinating than LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> no, I mean, what if one day we can have a kind of uh, immersive, um, you know, experience when we meet someone on LinkedIn? That would be great. And and thanks for um, inviting me first to this uh, conversation. Uh, as you said, we we both com completely passionate about innovation. No, I, I would like to share how did I come to that world and. I would say it's just a lot of serendipity and, and based on the people I've met that guided you through my life. I'm French German. I, I grew up in France in a very small village of 1,000 inhabitants and nobody of my uh, family actually has studied. Um, most of my uh, family have worked in manual jobs, uh, some are teachers and so on. But um, I, I decided later on that I really wanted to have an impact. And that was kind of clear already when I was 15. And because I was bad in you know, history at the time, I didn't care about French or philosophy and so on. I, by elimination, I actually uh, came to chemistry. So I studied um, in French, German chem, uh, chemistry degree where I studied in one year in France. Uh, I, I was in Germany and I stayed there for four and a half years. And through that process of switching culture to study, I just completely been um, reshaped how I was thinking, how I was believing right. in, in what is life about, because the Germans are completely different than the French. What is you know, success in France is completely different with success in Germany. And the way people uh, get um, skills taught in school and in university is completely different. So I really took, I would say, the advantage of both uh, countries and cultures and I also took my time to took a few breaks to take a few breaks during my studies. I struggled five months in Africa. I've been one month in Asia. And later on, I've been uh, four months in Mexico and South America. And uh, that also completely shaped, uh, you know, what I was thinking and um, what I, I believe um, life is all about. When I was doing my master thesis in uh, Switzerland and Zurich. I was studying artificial muscles and, um, you know, um, kind of technologies that can maybe change the food production or can really change the way we produce electricity. So I liked application, the application of science and deep tech. 
but I knew that inside of me, I was an entrepreneur, you know, I was in the lab and it was a lot of work. And um, usually you don't get recognized after, only after 10 years of research or so. And uh, I had the feeling that I wanted to move faster. And I, I started to read a book, actually Game Changer. It's funny, uh, Game Changer, the, the title of your <laughs> podcast by Dave Asprey, that was his book. And um, this book really inspired me that I wanted to be a game changer as well. Um, you know, he has like interviews of 400 people. They all did amazing things in life, right? Transformed right. cities, uh, countries, whatever with, with the ideas. And so I started to be obsessed by go going, moving to Silicon Valley because I knew that's where all the game changers are, where the okay. density is just the highest in the world. So I found a way to go there. And that all happened through networking. You know, I, I did projects. Um, they like how I was working, go ask for recommendation, ask for introduction brought me there, they created a position for me. Uh, all the struggle for to get the visa, you can imagine, uh, was, was a pain, but it worked out. Went there, stayed six months. I, I found another team to extend my internship by six months. And right. in that uh, time frame, I was working for Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And um, I just learned the world of business, the world of entrepreneurship, the world of healthcare. And apart from my work where I was just managing, I would say the, the startup collaborations we had in our incubator, I was just networking like crazy, right? So I've been to over 120 events in San, in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and I just met all the most amazing people uh, in my life that completely extended the way I was seeing the impact they could potentially have. And so that really, um, I would say, um, motivated me to do more. So now I'm back in Europe because of all this COVID situation and, and uh, you know, Trump actually banned all the, the visas for international people. So I had no way to stay. And I created my own company for, um, I would say, around 10 months. And I worked for three different companies. And at the end, I joined Nautilus Japanese company. And, and the reason I joined it is because I always wanted to do business, but at the same time, uh, do something that is going to create value for the world. And so the company I work for right now, it's, it's Japanese, it's Asian, and, you know, they have another level of connectedness with society. They, they really care about it. They promote it in all the internal right. material, external material. They want it to good. And, and the people are just so ethically right. I mean, they, they're so um, respectful of relationships, environments. You get trust. It's hard to get it, actually, but once you get it, you, you get really strong bonds with people. And so I really like that mindset and, and now I'm doing the work I do today. Well, very, very interesting. You know, I, I had shared with you that I've been in the travel industry my whole life. So uh, not necessarily in the selling of travel, but uh, using technology to marry buyers and sellers and really being on the cutting edge, uh, some, sometimes the bleeding edge, right, of, of innovation in my own industry. But I think it's interesting the role that you said that travel, traveling and putting yourself in other cultures, uh, how that helped to shape you. And, you know, you've shared with us a little bit about your personal history of, of innovation and, and becoming a change maker, a, a game changer. Uh, but tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of the broader history of innovation and how that has impacted you and, you know, really where you see yourself fitting in uh, moving forward. So if, I, if I'm correct, how travel impacted me in the world of innovation or how do I see Well, no, I mean, you, you yeah. shared that with us and, and yeah. you know, it's a, an interesting intersection with my life, right? Because 
uh, traveling does open your mind. And, and I know for myself, uh, because many of my roles were international, I was managing director of Latin America. I you know worked with our Southeast Asian partner uh, with one of my companies. I worked on a joint venture with uh, a European company. And so it just opens your mind. And I think it makes you more open to innovation, right? Yep. Um, and, and what I mentioned is that you mentioned your personal history of how you evolved as a game changer. Yeah. Uh, but what about the overall history of innovation? Yeah. Yes, history of innovation, exactly. So, you know, as a young professionals, and by being in different environment, I have, I have realized something that is kind of uh, really shocking me. And what, what is shocking me is the number of people that are completely, I would say, uh, absorbed by the, the system we had, uh, that we have established, you know, around 1920s, right? So, so during the war, there was a set of rules that have been established. Um, um, we, also post-war, right? We, we had all the industry coming up, timetables right. started to fill our lives, productivity was the focus process, repetitive, and so, you have a huge set of quality practices that are in the industry today um, that most people follow today, but our society has changed drastically. The demand is different, right? Before we were demanded for goods and uh, high quality, and we don't want something different every year. Nobody care about it. Everybody wanted the same, right? The, the Ford car right. and um, they, you know, every industry was really uh, doing the same over and over. And that's why big, large corporations were thriving, right? They, they had these uh, huge manufacturers and they just did the same for years and years and years and it kept growing. But now what I realize is with the rise of technologies and I would say really internet is what changed our world, right? So with the right. rise of internet and the rise of data and the rise of interconnecting of, of everything, with the power of, of computers, now we have what we call exponential technologies. And uh, the, I'm not the one that is going to say to everybody what it is, but basically what it is, is that um, the acceleration of the, the new things we're gonna use on a daily basis is going to not be a little bit better every day. It, it's, it's going to be drastically better um, every right. day. It can, can, you know, the, adoption of a new technology can impact thousands of lives, millions of lives in a day. You know, we, we saw that with Clubhouse last year, the adoption rate was just insane. Uh, we see that with the metaverse, we, we see that with a lot of things. And the reason for that is that you have I, IoT, everybody can do it from anywhere. And we have remote work, we have, uh, you know, supercomputer, quantum computing is coming along. We have the understanding of health now with all the genomic data. And so that adds up on the previous knowledge they combine. And so the change is just insane. Right. Which means change means also we have a lot of challenges. <clears throat> One of the biggest challenges that our world is facing today <clears throat> to, to me is not COVID and the pandemic, it's, it's really climate change. And um, we, the, the fact is climate change was there somehow before, but nobody was really taking it into consideration. But now everybody's aligned, it's happening, we have to take actions. And, and we see that with the COP26 uh, you know, uh, Paris Agreement and, and all the nations that are committed to do something about it. And so the demand has changed. We, we, we go away now from this mass consumption and production of good to really doing something that, that can uh, improve our world. 
And, and to do that is grand challenge, very complex. You can't do it on, on your own in isolation. You, you need to do this with large collaboration and partnerships. And um, not only solving grand challenges is solving your own challenges in your daily right, life. Right. And in your company is you have huge challenges, you know, on, on a project, um, uncertainty, unpredictability, right? The VUCA world that uh, some of us uh, mentioned, which is highly complex. And so the people that are able to open up, you know, connect all with other people to get insights for ideas and knowledge, that's number one to have access to databases, what I call resources, database, infrastructure, right. capital, things like this. And number three, people. What I mean by people is people that are going to work for you to accomplish uh, the goal and mission that you're, 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 you're striving forward, right? And the ones that are able to do that, to, to get the number one, three that I mentioned uh, are going to really be change maker. Uh, in today's society that is multi-stakeholder, long-term, and, and focus uh, with a higher focus on startups and small companies. Right. Michael, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by the number of networking events that you went to in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I'm still, my head is still spinning about that because face-to-face -face networking uh, is actually my worst nightmare. I, I don't do well in that environment of walking into a large room and figuring out who to talk to. I'm great if I'm walking along with you and you say, oh, hey, Chicky, you need to meet Charlene, right? And you walk me over to meet Charlene and I'm great at that. But the networking in a room of strangers doesn't work well for me. But I'm, I'm interested in a couple of things about that. One do you consider yourself outgoing, right? Uh, or are you an introvert and that was hard for you? And then I want you to talk a little bit about what Silicon Valley has gotten right, because that has been the, the, you know, the place where the seed of innovation was watered and nurtured more than anywhere else in the US. It's not other beds of innovation, right? Yep. Um, but what did they get right? So uh, if you can answer those two questions about, about we know networking is important, right? I mean, yep. the fact that you and I met, well, now halfway around the world, uh, but at, at the time we were brought together by a community, right? And, yes. and uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about those two things. And then what, what did Silicon Valley really get right when it had to do with innovation and networking and community? Yes, no, thanks for, for asking. It is um, the networking thing. You know, usually people, when they, they mention networking, they believe, well, okay, they have to go to a cocktail party and, and just meet random people, right? The, the first thing that I want to clarify is when I think about networks is um, networks are not just about networking. Networks are really any relationship we can have everywhere. It can be, um, you know, through, through online, it can be through colleagues, it can be through, um, you know, emails, whatever it is. It, it's and um, the one that we have in database is the one that we have in followers and social media platforms. So all, all human interaction by any way of interacting is, is, is networks, right? And that's what I mean by networking. But now if we go back to, to the standard networking that most people understand, you know, it's funny because I, I consider myself as, uh, I mean, I'm not even recognizing it myself. Like people really said, well, you, you are a professional networker. My former boss, uh, that is a VP, he said that to me. And 
And I, I realized that that was my strength, right? But it didn't come um, right away. Um, it, it didn't come naturally. I would say had a lot of training, we can say so. I was shy when I was 18 and couldn't do presentations. And uh, I, 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 you know, I was doing photography as a hobby. And, and when I was taking pictures, people were looking at me. Oh, it was like kind of, um, I didn't want to, to, to see to them looking at me. So I had this huge problem. But what happened, and it goes back to travel, is I travel alone for you know months, and I went to hostels again and again. What I had to do in this hostel is, well, you go there and you know absolutely nobody, and uh, so they, you have two choices: either you stay alone and you have a really crap life, or you, <laughs> you go in the room and you talk to people, and you know, in a matter of seconds, you have friends for the day, for the week, and um, and so what what was great about that is nobody knew who I was, so I could be who I wanted to be. I didn't need to be shy. I didn't, and I just had to be myself, and that really forces me to push all, all myself and, and you know be out of my comfort zone and just go out and, and and just chat with people and the great thing is that in these hostels and I really promote that because it's amazing you have the most open minded people of the planet uh, right. you, people usually there are uh, very open to talk they, they are your friend in two minutes and so on so that was for me my training to networking to be honest and so I did that you know almost a year if you combine all my experiences and then when I went to Silicon Valley, you know, I was the guy that was super confident going to places and meeting people because uh, I've been to many different environments. I was self-aware. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to learn. And what uh, is my strength is that I ask a ton of questions. So when I go to a place, usually um, I always identify what can I have in common with these people. And maybe it's a topic, right? The topic of living, maybe it's about cell therapy, 3D printing, whatever. Maybe it's science, maybe it's business, maybe it's SDGs, maybe it's politics, maybe it's uh, right. you know, a hobby such as photography or sport. And um, once you identify that, that's, it's always the start of the conversation. So you always comment about this. And the thing obviously that um, always, always, um, please to people is that you talk about them first, right? You never start with yourself. You always start with the others. So you ask about them and so on. And, um, and then when you get to share interest, the rest is just history, right? It's just a pleasure and ask questions. I'm just curious. And most people just like that. And so I done that through my entire life and I'm still doing it today. And you know, the funny thing is, so I recognize I am a complete extrovert. So I like that, this gives me energy. But I, we have an advantage today because uh, we have the online world. Right. And honestly, today, it's, it's never been so easy to network with people, right? Um, I network with a million people on LinkedIn. It's sending a message. It's sharing information. Maybe it's not even a call. You, you have no worry. You, you know, it's, it's just 20 seconds. You don't need to be uncomfortable for hours. So I think this is really a, a, a huge opportunity for introverts and for everybody, right? So that's the part of our networking. Now, if we go to Silicon Valley, what they're doing, right? And that's really based on the experience that, that, that I've discovered there is everybody talk about Silicon Valley. And you have an article in The Guardian that says, well, if Silicon Valley was a country based on this GDP, it would be like the third richest country in the world. And they have the most amount of startups, like they're out competing other places by like 10x. Uh, right. right, the number two comes to Nix, um, and and so 
they have something that they're doing different. And it's not just about the money or government support or whatever you want. There's something that is different. And what I realize is uh, it's all about the people, right? And it's not just people, but the mindset of people. And that comes from uh, ma many reasons, you know, San Francisco was absolutely nothing in, in 1700 or 1800. There was nothing there. There was a small fishing village. And what happened is you had the golden rush. So everybody went there. Then um, you had the war. So everybody went there because it was beautiful and so on. And, and then you had universities, you started. And so all the talents that wanted a high quality of life, uh, they were also sick of maybe Wall Street and so on. They wanted to build uh, companies. They just started to, to, to go there, go there. And you had many waves that attracted this, this uh, world leading talents. Right. And uh, then you had the internet, right? In the seventies, Microsoft, and you keep going, keep going. And now it's, it's, it's still continuous because you have the biotech that, that is growing their healthcare. And now with all the metaverse thing, I think it's just, it, it, it keeps growing, right? So it keeps attracting people. And I realized why. So first they have a moonshot mindset. So they, all the people there are extremely ambitious. Um, usually they are expats. Um, I didn't meet a lot of locals, to be honest, and that's a really, really sad part. Yeah, so most people that I met at all the events, they just come from somewhere in the world and they moved to the place because they wanted to change something. Right. And usually the people also don't stay forever in Silicon Valley. So you just have this a moment in the life of a person that is going to be all in, in that place. And so... When they are there, they do everything they can to, to make something happen. And um, this means they have this moonshine mindset. They want to change the world and they're going to do everything uh, to change it. And that happens on the entrepreneur side that have this huge vision. But then it's exactly the same on the investor side. So investors, um, you know, I'm not the only one saying that. I was talking to a biotech company that was raising funds and they were going to VCs in the Silicon Valley. And the VC were asking, well, if I give you a billion dollars, what do you do with it? And so what do they want to see is this huge vision. Another example, Navin Jane is, is an American entrepreneur, a, a kind of famous, um, I build many companies. And he said that, well, usually if you come with a space exploration topic, for instance, like 10 years ago, when nobody was talking about it, everywhere in the world, people were uh, you know, rejecting it. But in Silicon Valley, the investors would say, how do you do this? Tell me more. <laughs> and so that mindset shift is, is what makes them already unique based on, on that. Right. The second thing, what I realize now, I don't know about your place, but I can tell you this, the Europe is the mentorship culture. It's just part of the DNA of this place. You have a ton of very successful people that are, you know, billionaire, millionaire, investors, serial entrepreneur. They are really taking the time to mentor young people, mentor entrepreneur. And that uh, is, is that they go to event and they listen to pitches, they get feedback. They go to mentoring session. They have uh, calls with these young people. Um, they go to accelerators. Um, they are advisors of startups and so on. And so that uh, feedback loop or this, um, you know, this culture of giving back is very high. And actually they do it because it's part of their success. So they, they like to be part of the success of another company. And so they do it in Europe. I just, it, does, it just doesn't exist. There, there is no mentorship culture here. Um, all people are buzzy. <laughs> they, you know, it also starts because we don't have a startup culture. So why should I spend my time with that person? I, how, 
what can I get in this deal? And so they don't get it, right? So that's a huge difference because we accelerate our knowledge in a matter of seconds when we get experience from a senior leader. And the, right. the number three is, uh, well, they, they really work uh, as networks. Um, they share everything. They invite you to everything. They are going to um, you know, invite you, uh, share a, a VC a list to you if you're interested. They're going to make introduction to investors, to under entrepreneurs, and so on. And this willingness to just, okay, what is you need? How can I help? Okay, this is who you need to meet. Just this behavior that takes actually really a short amount of time. This, this, you know, this giving mindset is, is present and, and that is not really present in other places and in the world. Right. Well, I think that's really, really uh, astute to look at, at those things as the differentiators because I think other communities, and I live in Tampa, Florida, and, you know, Florida is known for tourism, right? That, that is our claim to fame, maybe that and oranges, right? Uh, but it hasn't been known as a technology hub. And, but the, the Tampa business community is doing a lot to try to change that. And mentorship and incubators, you know, are, are springing up all over the place. The challenge is for someone like me, who I don't run a startup, I run a company that is more mature but for the last two years, our business has been on hold of the pandemic, right? I rely on a healthy travel industry and events industry. And both of those have been, you know, anemic to be sure <laughs> over the last two years. So I'm having to start my business back up, but I don't fit into any of those incubators, right? I'm, I'm too far along in my business. And so finding finding investors and finding somebody who can mentor me in growth, not in establishing, you know, what you need. So, you know, out of necessity, I've been pushed into this do-it-yourself culture, right? And I know you talk about do-it-yourself uh, from a bunch of different perspectives uh, in this book that you're writing. So, so talk to me about do-it-yourself. Yes, thank you. Thank you for, for asking. And one of the things that I realized that makes people thrive in this network culture where you're really dependent on everybody is, is the one that are proactive. And that, that, that there's no secrets uh, and it's, it's kind of sad for everybody who was maybe looking for a magic ingredient, but it's, it's, it's going to be about you and it's going to be about, are you willing to reach out? Are you willing to um, ask questions? And we look at, um, the one that Brad Feld is mentioning that um, every successful business is, I think 95% of funding teams are made with people who were connected earlier. So all right. the funding teams are kind of connected. And if you bring advisors, it's like the one that you had in the past. So your network is everything. And there's an article that is talking about the PayPal mafia. And the PayPal mafia is basically the people that founded the PayPal and they've generated dozens of new businesses after people. And they all admit that it was based on the relationship they had. Uh, Red Hoffman was one of them and he's the co-founder of LinkedIn, by the way. So there is no secret. And he said, he, someone were calling him the most connected person in Silicon Valley. And so what I've realized is that we need to the one, the mindset of you're going to do it yourself. And it goes back to our culture, how we were, we've been raised up. We, we, we were asked to not, uh, you know, do something different and follow the rules and listen to your teacher 
um, and so on. So in, in the corporate world, and I see today, I mean, there's no joke about it. The people around me, they don't challenge anything. They don't, you know, how many people did I met that, that I met that um, were having a job and had no time for external activities, no time, all focused on the company. And so that's what most employees do. And so what happens when you do this is you don't rebuild your network. You, you, you're just in little silos and so on. So you have to be aware that you have to go out. And this Sue Winham Bannister is a former uh, CEO of a $1 billion fund uh, that was changing Boston, Massachusetts into a thriving ecosystem. And she was saying that what companies need or anyone that is building a business need is what we call operating talents. And operating talents are the one that, you know, they go out, they build relationship, they raise capital, they attract talents to the company um, and, and on and these people are missing in most businesses organization is because we've not been trained to do that. So these people are unique and that's the one that are doing it themselves. They go out, they reach out, they do this. And one of the secrets to do this, how do you attract, how do you build all this connection is everything you do, you have to, to be good at telling stories and at telling the vision and, and sharing what you do. And it really starts again with self-awareness. What are you good at? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Do you have a vision? goes back to the moonshot mindset 10 years ahead and so on. And so these people are completely self-aware of who they are and they can do it themselves. Another example that I want to cite is um, that you, it's not always only about entrepreneurs and CEO. It can be someone in an organization that want to create change. And one perfect example of that that I really liked is Tony Faddle. So Tony mm -hmm. Faddle is a co-founder of the iPod. And at that time, when he was uh, proposing the, the, the iPod or the, even the, the Apple store, Steve Jobs were completely against it. He said, why, why do you want this? I mean, we cannot even, uh, you know, all the network provider, they, they control everything. We cannot win that game and so on. And, um, and why would you do an Apple store? I mean, everybody will know we have to be in our private sphere. We cannot have other apps on our phone and so on. And so what he did is he was able to build this network around him. So he was able to convince all the people around him and a few employees, and he was able to share the vision and what can impact. And so he was able to completely personalize and influence Steve Jobs. And today the Apple store is generating, I think, I mean, billions of dollars, and I'm hesitating right. to say it a trillion. I mean, it's crazy, right? And um, so that's the principle number one is self-awareness, and, and you have to create it yourself. If you can't create it yourself, if you're not that person uh, that is uh, just going out and reaching out to your network, building this relationship to persuade, uh, you know, with a new idea, uh, like Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak in Apple was the guy that was the introvert, like building stuff. In that case, you just have to surround yourself with one or two operating talents. Um, and, and then you have to work with them to share your vision and um, that should be enough, right? But it's not with self-awareness and doing it yourself. Right. So, you know, when, when you think about Silicon Valley, you know, you think about investors who are the next unicorn. So how is it that one of the things that you recommend is actually starting small, right? And then growing big rather than, you know, necessarily having that, that gigantic unicorn sized vision. Yes, exactly. So that's, um, I'm not the first one to say that, and I'm not going to take all the credits for this, but it, we're still in the culture where 
it's very hard for us to break big steps or big vision into small steps. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's a study by Nir Yal um, that is, is citing that all, everything we do in life is to avoid discomfort. <laughs> and so what happened into this is in this complex long vision, there's so much uncertainty and we don't know. So we kind of lose track of how to do it and then we never start. But what all the studies have shown, and uh, there's a countless amount of examples, is any change in society it can be part of your organization, changing to agile movement or doing a new project or whatever you want, is always starts by influencing uh, the people around you with a shared purpose and a shared vision, right? And I interviewed Greg Sattel, that is um, a leading change, I uh, would say specialist in his world that has published two books about it and, and, and writing HBR and so on. And he said his shared vision, shared purpose is really something that we have to clearly communicate to others and starting with these very small groups and uh, he's talking about this power of loose connections so it doesn't need to be strong relationship it can just be this early adopter a little bit and when you do that then you go to the next level the next level and and then you continue to promote that and to keep this culture and that can grow bigger right because actually at the end of the day the ones that realize that they cannot drive change in our society, massive change in our society, if they think they can do it alone, right? The ones that can drive massive change are the ones that can collaborate uh, massively with others, but it will start with these small groups loosely connected by a shared vision and a shared purpose, and then it can go bigger. Right, right. So Michael, what does the future look like? You know, we know that the last two years have dramatically changed how we work, right? The, this whole Zoom culture or whatever tool it is that your company uses. Um, you know, I would hate to own a whole bunch of corporate real estate here in the U.S. because I'm not sure that companies are ever going back uh, to those buildings. Um, but at the same time, at least from my perspective, uh, I think and I've been working remotely for 10 uh, you know, I sold my office building 10 years ago and, and have never gone back into an office. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I crave that. I crave being face-to-face, -face, having the, uh, the energy and the momentum and the ability to brainstorm on a, on a literal whiteboard and, you know, see the, the excitement people's eyes and or you know to see the people who are rejecting innovation because it's as, as important to see that and I you know I just am not quite certain that we can do all of this digitally so what what is your outlook and and where do you think the future of work will take us no that's that's definitely a topic of of the moment right uh, all these questions about back to office not back to office and how do we work and 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 so on. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty around this topic, right? Because nobody really know. But according to studies that people have done actually during COVID, they realize um, that yes, everybody is actually craving these human connections. So the full remote option won't be definitely uh, the best ones for most people. So there will be, um, I would say a touch base um, meetings for most organizations, most teams on a weekly basis uh, where they will meet. Right, However, but I call, I call that, Michael, idea plus seven, which means that every idea that comes up doesn't get dealt with in whatever the next stage of it is until seven days later. 
I, I think that's the culture that that has created. Um, you know, yeah. and, and I almost wonder uh, and a crazy thought, and I know I've seen platforms like this where you would actually have your whole team keep Zoom open all day, right? Where you, you were able to talk to each other when you needed to, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that if we are gonna stay digital, I yeah. want to be able to say, hey, Michael, what do you think about this? Right. Well, Instead of having to set up a meeting, which creates this artificial barrier and, you know, it creates this calendar culture, which I think is equally bad. Uh, a meeting culture within a company can cause that company to innovation to die. Yeah, it right. It's all about meetings and not about innovation. No, I, I totally agree. So there's, there's many things that I'm excited about this virtual world. First, the first one is that most people will, can, will, will be able to have this hybrid life where you can live in different locations. So you can change in, in, in the way you want to feel. If you want to get sun, you go in the south you, and so on. And I believe, you know, the, we are just at the one percent curve, if not less, of uh, the virtual reality world. Um, you know, we, we started with the early adopters in these huge glasses, but now at CS, they already shown that very small glasses. And I guess it's just a matter of of months until we get to maybe just uh, this little headset here and and then you can completely be um, in the virtual world. And so if you can do this, where it doesn't affect, I uh, would say your, your, your energy because you're always connected to that world, um, then I mean, it's going to be a completely different uh, world, right? And I believe humans will adapt. Why that? Because when we started to be online all the time, I was completely exhausted. Um, I didn't like to use this whiteboard online. I was like, oh, it's not the same. I don't like it and so on. And I must say, no, I like it. I really like it. I, I know how to use it. I think it's super efficient. You, you can get links faster, um, you know, when people work and so on. You can draw conclusion faster and then everything is safe and digital and go back to it. And actually, when you do this live, it's, it's a huge amount of energy. I mean, you need to go get this suitcase with all the stickers. You need to this and that, and you, and then you have to take pictures, put it back digitally. I mean, the the the, the, the work that this represents is is a huge amount of work. So I think we've been really more efficient doing that, and we just had this yes one person curve of what it can be in ten years. Um, so I'm really looking to this and. You know, all this working hour model, Finland going to four hours, Middle East going to four and a half days, uh, these kind of models that are going to change the way we work and companies, uh, you know, they, there's this war of talent, the great resignation, um, more entrepreneurs. I mean, there's a, an article uh, cited by McKinsey where um, they, COVID pushed a lot of people to quit your job and start their own business. Um, the, the German economy is going to be powered and fueled by startups by 2030, representing billions and trillions of dollars. Same for you, friends, that is trying to do it as a startup nation. I don't want to talk about Israel, who is already all uh, completely fueled by startups. The U.S. is already known for that. And, um, right. you know, the prediction for 2022 is that Asian countries are going to be a, have a higher economic growth than, than our Western countries. And it will also be fueled by startups. Capital is flowing all around to fund all these technologies. And so in 10 years, we can live in a completely different world with different tax rules. Um, you know, the, the way we deliver visas, the way we collaborate, the way we hire, 
and you know the, the way we collaborate, uh, the, the teams will be more diverse and interdisciplinary. And I I'm really excited about this. And all the products we're gonna put on the market will be also. I mean, most of them will be service based. You know, the car industry right now is completely shifting from I sell a car and you do what you want to I'm going to deliver you service on a monthly basis. And uh, the biggest money will come from that, all the sure services, connected and driving and so on. And, and that right. will happen to all electronics, right? Where you update your thing every three months, you get a new one, all the subscription things, they're just going to explode. And so we will really live in a completely new world that I believe is going to be a better world because we will collaborate more and focus more on, on major problems. So that's why I, I, I think the ones that are able to thrive in this new multidisciplinary and startup economy are going to have extraordinary lives and they will be able to create a lot of wealth, but also uh, solve major problems. Michael, what is the name of your book and when will it be out? So the name of the book is Today's Superpower Building Networks, Seven Minds and Principles to create change in the startup and multidisciplinary economy. And it will be out in May 2022 this year. I'm still exchanging with a ton of experts about the topics that I'm truly passionate about. And my hope is not just to launch the book and then stopping to promote that message. My hope is that during many years, I will uh, meet people and encourage them to embrace the mindset of giving embrace the mindset of collaborating and, and identifying a mission and a purpose, um, embracing the, the fact that teams have to be diverse and people have to move away from their own um, environment to experience new things. Because we need this world that is more unified and collaborate more. And, and so that's why I'm super excited for the launch. Great, Michael, if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way for me is that they reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, they are the most active. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. They can get my email. It's michael.mengold at gmail.com. Website is coming up soon. And um, I'm, I'm always available, right? So it's always Michael Mengold on all my social media platforms. Right. Looking forward to connecting. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time, Michael, and uh, please keep me posted, and uh, I would certainly love to review your book when it comes out. I will do this, Chicken. Thank you. All right, take care. Sure. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Oh,